0: Hey everybody and welcome to Dr. Gong's Drumcast My name is Danny Young, I am of course a drummer And uh, this podcast will be about drums, drumming, drum geek stuff Like gear, techniques, grooves, beats, of course music It's really really about music, that's the bottom line here We will talk to drummers and anything drum related I guess you could say Um, Yeah, from one drummer to another drummer I want to talk with uh, whoever wants to talk with me about this stuff. And the good thing is that drummers tend to want to talk about drums <laughs> and and all that fun stuff for us. So yeah, if you're beginner, intermediate, professional, doesn't really matter. We just want to talk about talk about the drums, talk about the fun, cool shit that you kind of uh, associate with anything that you hit with a stick. Or with your hands, or whatever. This is the first episode of Dr. Gong's Drumcast, and our very first guest is none other than the rival Sons drummer, Michael Miley. Miley is a very, very interesting character. He is a very cool guy, an amazing drummer, and, uh, you know, we get into, uh, we talk a lot about music, we talk a lot about style, and, uh... You know, he talks about how it is recording in the studio, how they did it, how they really didn't expect it was gonna go the direction it ended up going. And um yeah, talk about touring and 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 all this fun stuff. So let's just jump into our talk here with Michael Miley. <laughs>
1: right as you called i was working on um this paradiddle exercise that i learned from thomas pridgen and who's like one of the biggest ninjas i think out there i i just love his approach and um uh and the way he the way he approached uh developing at when he was younger um is uh, super inspirational and i've been drawing from um, a, a plethora of YouTube videos of, of Thomas Pridgeon. I, I go down different rabbit holes all the time with different drummers, whether it's Keith Carlock or Tony Williams or um, Thomas Hack, one of my favorite guys in the world, Thomas Hack and um, uh, and this this week it just happens to be uh, Thomas Pr- Thomas Pridgeon so
0: <laughs> well, you know that's that's interesting because because um, in your style of what you play you know rock drumming not that many drummers go that deep as you do uh and when the playing the music that you play i mean that type of music is 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 called for yes of course it's called for some certain technique and, and groove and feel but i don't think that many drummers today playing the style you play go that deep into and I, i've known you for a while and i know that you've tried all these different techniques and i one of my favorite stories with that i witnessed with you was when you guys were opening for Aerosmith in in uh, in Stockholm in two thousand must have been two thousand fourteen. And and I'm on stage with you guys for your sound check. Not should have not been there, but I was there, you know, just you know being the, the, the <laughs> being in the way. And, and and Steven Tyler came up on stage. And I and you were <laughs> you were just like we were both of us right we seemed pretty nervous or I was at least really starstruck for Steven Tyler. But I thought, this is the only moment I'm going to have talking to Steven Tyler. I'm going to talk to him. You were already talking to him. And I said, why don't you try Miley's drums? Because <laughs> we both know that Steven Tyler was originally a drummer, right? Yeah. And then he goes, sure. So we gave him some sticks and he sat down. And at this time, you were experimenting with having all your, all your drums, not just your snare drum, but your toms and everything tilted away from you. So the drums were tilted down. Even the toms were like almost tilted the wrong way, not towards you with the head, but almost more like towards the the audience, almost. Yeah. And the, the old, old, very old jazz uh, style, or, or, or whatever, big band, or I don't, I don't even know. But and he started playing them, and he wasn't prepared for that at all. So he kind of freaks out, and he he, he kind of misses his stuff, and he's kind of you know fucking it up. And he goes, "Oh my god." these drums got an overbite. Yeah. And I just thought, <laughs> only Steven Tyler can sit down in a drum kit yeah. and come up with that phrase that fast. So he might yeah, have not been a great drummer at that moment because of the ways your, your drums were tilted, but he certainly was a great mind and a very, very snappy reply to what was going on. And I just thought it was beautiful. It, and I have it on video and I never released it anywhere. I just kept, I just oh, gave dude, it to you. I would,
1: love to, I would love to see that. My memory is... is way worse than yours my memory was that he said what the fuck man you got buck teeth." <laughs> oh yeah but, I have, but I, I have the
0: video and it says these drums oh, okay. these drums got an,
1: have an overbite these drums got an overbite man yeah I, it was and he I, was uh definitely busting my balls uh but yeah dude he's he i heard he came up with a lot of the parts um With Aerosmith and guys just, he's just a walking, uh, Jedi master, dude. And and he's in his seventies now and he's, um, we're fixing to open for them this summer. It hasn't been, um, canceled yet. I I assume it'll be canceled. I I know the the talk of the town is that it might be pushed to next summer. So, um, we'll see what happens. Uh, super depressing man to, to have uh music be canceled but um but steven tyler man he's he's i mean he's up there doing you know at the end when they bring the grand piano out and he's doing like karate kicks and backflips and i mean he's still like still um He's like a gymnast, man. He's a ninja.
0: And I remember from that show. I mean, not only was he talking his mouth off just during your sound check, with, with the, like you shouldn't be talking to anybody, especially not running around on stage already at the support band's sound check. But, but when when, when stage, I mean, when when the showtime came, he was he was. I've I've never seen anything like that. He was he, the energy and and everything was just incredible. But my point, getting into that story, wasn't even really about Steven Tyler and Aerosmith. It was more about this was a period of time. When you were doing a technique that demanded that you had to turn your drums around, and and I don't know of any other drummer who does, who dares to experiment like you do with technique and style, and just go so balls deep into <laughs> the the thing that you're into at that moment, and that's great. Because I mean that. Y- that keeps you on your toes. It keeps you fresh. It keeps you still learning. I think that's a great thing for a drummer to have, for any musician to have. But I don't know that many musicians who do this. But you are one of them, and I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I guess I'm uh, masochistic or or uh, or something. I, <laughs> I I I just want to I want to find. I'm constantly trying to find the um, maximum efficiency. Um, using, using the least amount of energy possible to get the loudest, fastest, you know, um, most dex dexterous, um, sound possible, you know, getting yeah. around the kit. Um, I, I like to be as agile as possible. I'm jumping up and down. And so I want, I want my technique to be the last thing I'm thinking about. And so when I'm on stage, when I'm performing in front of an audience, um you know it's you know think or what is it uh timothy leary said fry now think later about lsd (laughs)
0: okay um it didn't take long (laughs) until we brought the lsd into the into the equation here
1: (laughs) yeah so fry now think later like you know perform like play the music get so deep inside it you know to where you're you know so to speak uh like lost in the music or um i want my technique to be um second nature. And so back then I was sitting higher. Um and then, you know, ergonomically, if you drop your arm down, relax your shoulder, drop your uh your wrist down with a stick in it, where's it w- naturally fall? And there is a an argument to be made. There's a few drummers, Keith Carlock, Dave Weckle, um our friend Mark Mikey Sorbello in, in the UK. He he's tilting all his drums forward. My my friend um Donald Barrett, really great friend of mine here in LA, um, tilts all his stuff for it. His symbols, everything, El- everything is facing the audience. It's super weird looking, and um, there's so there's some guys um, experimenting with that. And um, now I've now I'm everything is flat, pretty much. The rack tom is a little bit tilted towards me, and so um, I've been studying with Dave Elich uh, for since 2015 now. So we're going on five years, um, together. And this is just a few lessons a year. It's not like I'm studying with him every week, but he's, he's just familiar with that name. Um, I'm telling a little bit about him. Um, Dave V. is, 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 he's another ninja. He's, he played with Mars Volta, um, and, and, uh, a bunch of other bands. He's, he's, uh, he's LA session guy. He's he's known now. Like, uh, he's getting super known in the, um, in the teaching world, in the masterclass world. And he's got, uh, an awesome video out called, um, get out, of, getting out of your own way, uh, which I went through. It's a great video. Um, you know, our MP4s, you can, you can download it and, uh, I've gone through the whole thing. And it, it's great because when you study with him, uh, the video is just kind of like, you know, rehashing all this other stuff that I've learned from him so far. And I mean, I literally went back to, um 35 beats per minute as per stroke you know like wow. click click Jeez. click you know just like s- slowing down my my stroke uh back to the beginning like what you would do when you're i mean probably slower than as a kid because when you're a kid you're just like you're like dan and and you know you're I'm trying to play Y Y Z when you're nine years old. Um, <laughs> or, I never really went some us. It.
0: Some of us. I don't know. Not me, man.
1: <laughs> uh, you know when uh, you know the first time you heard Rush and like you, you wanted to play Tom Sawyer when you you know first yeah. were handed sticks and your my drum teacher. I told him uh, my first lesson. He goes, "What do you want to learn?" And I said, "Rosanna and Little Black Spot on the Sun today," and which is King of Pain by the Police. Exactly. Um, I didn't know the name of it, but I said "little black spot in the sun today," and um, and because that was like you know it's that yep. that groove is so lyrical, man. Stuart and,
0: Copeland, man, what an amazing drummer! What are my top five favorites?
1: Yeah, well, speaking of flat flat drums, I mean that he's like kind of my inspiration now on on my setup. So yeah, kind of like so, Keith to, Moon almost. Yeah, yeah. Moon, Moon was that way. Um, I mean, Bonham was flat. His snare and his floor toms were flat. Neil Pert's snare and floor toms are um, measured with a, a leveling tool. So, um, were Gump, who has has been his tech for the last twenty years, um, tech for me, and so I got a lot really? of Neil Pert stories. Um, yeah, I got to I got to work with him. He worked with uh, Keith Carlock with Steely Dan, and um, and so I got a lot of stories and set up tips and stuff and and neil pert uh he, god rest his soul he made made gun uh made him use a level like he wanted him perfectly scientifically flat if the stage was <laughs> tilted whatever like he wanted those toms flat so um that's pretty much how i approach it now
0: well, well didn't didn't he um like kind of late in his career i think neil pert went went to did the technique he, he reinvented his whole
1: yeah uh, yeah he did
0: and who, who's that teacher is it muller no
1: i think it was was it jim chapin or was it um freddie gruber
0: freddie gruber i think it was yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah I think and that, gruber. That, after that he changes because i don't think he had his toms out flat i think he changed whole, i think dave Weckel did the same thing right yep yeah i've actually, I've is- actually had dinner with dave Weckel once <laughs> because he's in, he's also a Yamaha um guy. So he was in oh, cool. Oslo and and um uh, and uh, my friend at Yamaha in Germany uh, was there and we we had a dinner and had a talk and he told me some amazing stories about just his his whole career. It was it was interesting. He's you know if you have like your really really favorite drummers, he's he's a very very technical guy and I've never been that that much into the technique part of it so <laughs> it was never like one of my top top you know favorite players but what what an amazing talent but but miley i wanted to talk to you number one everybody calls you miley your name is michael miley um does anybody call you michael your family or something
1: uh yeah like my mom and my wife call me michael i usually introduce myself as mike miley um and my friend since about sixth grade uh you know, since I was about 10 years old, I've, I've gone by Miley. It's just, yeah. you know, and when you grow up with the name, Mike or Michael, there's like 15 Mikes in your, in your class. Yeah. And so, um, it just, and, and, you know, it's like, I like, I don't know if it's a guy thing or whatever, but it's like, you, you start going by your last name early on in life. And I don't know, a lot of guys do. So, um, and Miley's kind of cool. It's, there's a lot of room for nicknames like Smiley and stuff. So, uh, I've always been smiley, smiley miley, miley, um uh, you're a happy
0: guy. I mean you, you, every time I meet you you seem like to be in a you know fairly good mood. I've seen you maybe not, you know, the best of moods, but you're still, you know, you, you got this good positive vibe to you. Um I'm, so smiley I'm I think an is an angry
1: motherfucker, man. I'm well, angry. I hate I hate the world and I, it's all an act. It's just a big act,
0: dude. <laughs> well, well, it's a, it's it's an act that works then, Miley. Um so but let's let's go back a little bit cuz I you know I do know some things about you but I, and I just don't know everything obviously. We're not going to get to everything today, but uh born born and raised in California, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yep.
0: So t- tell me just about a little bit about your, you know, where did you grow up? Uh, you know, how what did your parents do? How was your upbringing, and you know, and how did you get into music?
1: Um, so I grew up in Northern California, born and raised in Northern California, in the Bay Area, the East Bay, we call it, and, um, which is near you know Berkeley, Oakland, yeah. San, San Leandro, Hayward. Uh, then I lived in Pleasanton for a little bit. So I grew up in the Northern California, and then um, and then in grade school, sometime I, I moved down to Southern California and uh we lived in fullerton then we moved to seal beach which where i f- did junior high in high school and uh which is next to long beach and um and then i went to long beach i went to fullerton junior college and then um and then i went to long beach state got a degree in music um but growing up growing up my dad was a, a guitar player still is i was on the phone yesterday with my dad and uh for Easter and his birthday is uh it was Saturday so um Congrats so I, we're, Yeah, yeah, we're we're doing um the the Skype call the you know, the obligatory holiday uh Skype call with the kids and my son's playing guitar so my dad is kind of giving him an Im- impromptu guitar lesson over Skype and um And
0: where's your dad living?
1: He lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. Now. And so and they, then, him though, and your mom are not health. together still.
0: Pardon? Did him you, did your parents divorce?
1: Yeah, when I was like two. So I mean oh, so wow. he, was a, he was a weekend dad. And then, you know, so when I was a kid, we'd go visit him on the weekends and, and he was like full bachelor guy with he had his like Porsche. And um we would go out in his Porsche and he'd be playing Steely Dan and um wow. and like Eric Clapton. And, you know, so I, we were always listening to um Music. My dad was a guitar player and super into music, and turning us on to um, all these different musicians all the time. And um, you know, I knew who Jeff beccaro was when I was like four years old. and <laughs> Okay. Now, now,
0: what you just explained to me right now, just it, it, you know, you explained a lot about yourself. Now, now I, now I know you. Now I really know why. <laughs> but it, so tell me. But you said your dad played guitar. Uh, what, yeah. what style was it like? You know, blues. Blues He's Rock or Blues
1: guy. He's his guys were Eric Clapton and David Gilmore. And then um so you know, I was listening to Pink Floyd, um and Cream and Derek and the Dominoes, like Eric Clapton solo, like all that stuff, and and then Steve Ray Vaughn and um uh John Lee Hooker, he was into very deep into the blues, Paul Rogers and Bad Company, um well, it explains a lot how cool. you
0: got a lot of your good, you know, upbringing, you know, you know your music and your upbringing. But, but was, you, was your dad living off of playing or was he just playing a lot in no. you know, spare time? No,
1: no, he's an engineer, um, and uh, engineer, um, machine tool sales and, and stuff. He, he got, uh, I think he got sick of the business. He was playing in the 60s, um, you know, in the Bay area music scene and there's a lot of drugs. My dad wasn't into that. He was, um, into that whole scene and stuff. And, um, you know, my, my mom got pregnant with my sister and I think my dad got a job, Caterpillar tractors. And, um, so he's always been sort of a a weekend warrior guitar player, you know, ever since. And, but his passion for music, man, to this day, he's, he's like, he's still sending me like YouTube click, clips of robin trower you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> robin trower trio from like 1977 that you know what uh, it was the greek theater or something like some crazy concert and he's like look at the drummer look what the drummer's doing on this and so he's still uh doing that with me i mean he used to uh not in nicely and fr- i look back with not a, a bad memory he used to beat me over the head like listen to what jeff Bacaro's footed look what how is he doing that with his foot listen 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 wow, to his bass drum man. Well, he the, must be go, so proud of you, shows. Miley.
0: He must be really, really proud of you.
1: I think he. I think he's. Um, you know, sort of lives vicariously lives vicariously through me in a way. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Um, I, I'm very blessed to have parents. My sister is six years older than me, so she was always listening to the Beatles and Paul McCartney and U two, and you know, in, into like as we got older, she was into the the new wave stuff, and um, so I was exposed to um you know Depeche Mode and e- Echo and the Bunnymen and the Smiths and and all that stuff that like my sister was into U2 I, I remember hearing Under the Under a Blood Red Sky for the first time and just like this band is like it's U2 still one of my favorite bands I love U2 um and you know the old stuff I mean their newer stuff is is great and everything but um I, I just, that's those first three four albums um are still so great do you think and, um, and, uh,
0: Larry Mullen Jr. also a Yamaha player? Would does he have any like? You think he has any effect on on your playing at all? Did, did you catch? Listen to any of that, or oh, dude, did you feel any yeah, connection I mean, with his drumming?
1: Um. Yeah. The there's um. Sometimes I'll catch myself doing fills, and I'll be in the middle of a fill, um, or hearing it on the R records, and I'll be like, "Dude, that's straight up Jeff Beccaro from this thing," or this is that's like total larry mullen thing or this this is a Stuart copeland thing i'm i try to channel my my um my heroes you know as much as possible because you know when in doubt if you can't come up with a part or something or you're kind of locked in your own creativity you can channel these like that's why we listen to music that's why we grow up um listening and like all, every teacher i've ever had that was worth a, their salt it always was like listen listen to you know, if you're studying jazz, you got to listen to Miles Davis. You got to listen to Coltrane and Hank Mobley and Art Blakey and the jazz messengers and Buddy Rich. And like, you know, you're, you got to listen and take all these, these um, approaches in. And cause there's all these great drummers and if you can channel something, um, you know, it's like, what would, what would Keith Moon do with, with this um, with this groove or like, what would, or I, I'll hear something and it's like, man, that's so who that's so like Zeppelin or the, the who or cream or that's like some like, uh, you know, British invasion kind of thing. Like, what would what would Jeff Beccaro do if he was in Led Zeppelin? You know, and so I'll just trip I'll trip my brain up like that. And um, like my, the, the groove for torture is kind of like Jeff Beccaro playing in Zeppelin. That's kind of how I originally uh, torture is a song a rival Sun song. Um, but yeah, well, there, is, there is
0: a yeah. direct link between, between John Bonham and Jeff Porcaro.
1: And that is of course, uh, Rosanna, is that where you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there, he, uh, Jeff Porcaro was, um, he, I mean, he's quoted as saying he was, um, ripping off full in the rain and like Bernard Purdy, the Purdy shuffle, the Purdy Shuffle. Yeah. And um, when and when uh, Picaro explains it, um, he plays "Fool in the Rain" wrong. It's, I love it. It's it's he plays the complete wrong groove. But um, uh, it's in his, his famous drum video. Uh, it's the it's the Purdy Shuffle that that yeah. inspired that. And and when he quotes John Bonham, it's just really great to see him quote John Bonham because Bonham's Bonham's teeth. Uh, the, you know, he he gets his sinks his teeth into a lot of. A lot of guys, you know, you'll hear hip hop drummers quote Bonham and, and um, you know, Dave Grohl to to uh, you know uh, Stephen Perkins and you know the '90s guys. Um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. John Bonham has influenced all of us. Well, he,
0: but John Bonham also was was really really into James Brown's drummers and and, and all that stuff. So yeah, know, and that's that's definitely that's probably the 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 link that you're talking about or one of them, obviously. But so you were when what year were you born, Miley? Nineteen seventy three. Seventy three, okay. So I'm just two I s I. isi thought I was much older than you. I'm just two years older than you. I thought you were born like in seventy nine or eighty or something. You just yeah, seem so young. I I just got the name, but you are you are the young one.
1: But uh so That's the first so, time I've ever publicly said my, my uh my age to anyone. Really? So, uh yeah, you can you can bleep that out if you want. Or, if no, or I don't want. I
0: don't, don't want to bleep that out, man.
1: <laughs> so many people think I'm like 32 years old. I'm like, yeah, Rival Sons came out like like 12 years ago. Um, <laughs> I wasn't 20. So, yeah, I wasn't 20 when we came out. But thank you. I I, I work on it. I've I've been blessed with good hair too. So I'm. Um, I try to stay in shape, and um, my mom's. Uh, italian so i got some really good skin so i don't know i'm still working on some crow's feet i I barely have crow's feet around my eyes so um i can still lie i I still tell people i'm 20 27 so there
0: you go there you go uh and so but i know for a fact so that's what i thought i thought i heard the drumsticks in there i thought i heard drumsticks clicking and that just tells me how much yeah. of a drum geek you are and i love that
1: because
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're just totally totally into this i dig that man. but i know yeah. for i know another thing about you um Miley, and that is that you are a big deadhead right when did you get into the whole you know dead scene um
1: so out of right out of high school i um one of my best friends of this day uh the name is heath bennett and uh he does sound for a group called boombox now he's a great drummer great musician and uh he's a musicologist man the guys um as most deadheads when you get into the dead scene like you'll meet somebody who's into the dead and they'll they'll be able to to, to um list off like miles davis discography or they're like into frank zappa as well and and so i was turned on to all that stuff by just being a deadhead Um, I actually think I discovered the dead. Um, uh, no, I discovered, uh, Frank Zappa at a dead show. I forgot. It was kind of around the same, the same time. I was 15 and I remember hearing this thing in somebody's van and I was tripping. I was like, I was pretty high and, um, (laughs) I was, and if you went to the old, the Grateful Dead the parking lots, you know, people would be, you know, tailgating and like different, different vans and buses and, and Volkswagen buses and, and school buses converted into, you know, like disco, disco buses. And, you know, people are like had a little conga and a gym bay outside their their uh, station wagon. You know, there's just everything. Right. And this one van I remember was playing Zappa. And if I had to guess, I think it was shut up and play a guitar with looking back um, because it was an instrumental thing. There was no singing. And, and that was my first exposure to Zappa was this instrumental jam. And I just sat there at this guy's car for like 15 minutes listening to it. And, um, but at, at being a deadhead, man, it, uh, you get exposed to lots of great music. Um, so it was, I was right out of college that I, that I, um, met my friend Heath and, um, he had a Grateful Dead shirt on, and I was never into. That. I thought it was a bunch of old farts on acid playing music. I, I which was sort of true, which was sort of true. <laughs> yes, kind of, kind of how that. But music there was more was, than that. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more to that. But I was, you know, a weed smoker. So it's like when you first, when I first arrived at college, it's like find out who the who the weed smokers are. So the, and those were my, you know, those are your friends, and um, <laughs> and you know, being a music uh a music major it's, there's a lot of band geeks man and so when you when you get to music school you know you want to find out who who are the guys that are going to have a beer and a and, and smoke a j you know like after yeah. <laughs> after rehearsal so anyway that's how i met heath and then um and then and then he was he just over a couple of years it took uh to get me to 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 open up my ears and when i finally heard it um it was a without without a net live double disc, um, and I heard it, and I, it, it, cro- it crossed the barrier, the Grateful Dead um, barrier. Everybody has it. Um, you either love the Dead or you hate it. You, you either get it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's it's a uh, super fusion of, of bluegrass, jazz, jazz fusion, rock and roll, southern rock, um, country, um, Bob Dylan. You know it's it's oh, yeah. it. It's there's so many influences going on, and then the world music, the drumming from that Mickey Hart brought into it, and the jazz drumming that Billy Kreutzman. There's so much going on. J- J- Jerry Garcia is one of the most melodic guitar players ever to walk the face of the earth. And, and I, could go I, I on want to and stop on. you.
0: I want to stop you there for one second because what you you were just saying something really interesting. I thought because you you say you discovered Frank Zappa at a Grateful Dead concert, and I've always said <laughs> that. If you want to sum up the sound of California, for me, the sound of California is in Jerry Garcia's guitar and it's in Frank Zappa's guitar. Because for me, and, and yeah. as you know, I'm I'm such a huge Eddie Van Halen fan. I like other guitarists also, of course. but And I'm not even that much of a deadhead and I'm not that much of Frank Zappa fan. I don't know, like, there's so much of them in both of the artists' material that I've never heard because there's a lot of it out there. However... The sound of Frank Zappa's guitar when he's playing guitar solo and the sound of Jerry Garcia's guitar is so, it's, it's such a signature on, on, on each side yeah. that, that there's, there's nothing, there's nobody can emulate that. Nobody could, nobody could fit, fa- nobody could come out and, and, you know, oh, is that Jerry Garcia? No. <laughs> when you hear Jerry Garcia, that is Jerry Garcia. And the same thing with Frank yeah. Zappa. And I don't care how technically good you are as a guitar player. But if you're that musical and you have that much of a signature, and you're very, very high up on my list, I just love that. And I think they really, really sum up California and their sound. And you know, it's that, and it's uh, and it's uh, the Beach Boys, who aren't even from when California.
1: You, I mean, I don't know, man. You mentioned uh, this. I, I'd say the trilogy, the 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is. I would put Eddie Van Halen right there with with Jerry and Frank. Zappa. Oh yeah, 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 um, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I as agree far with as you. The, yeah. the California guitar tr- uh trilogy is is uh cuz I mean Eddie, I mean we could get, we could segue into Van Halen cuz I know we're both huge Alex Van Halen guys. Yep. Um and uh I mean Eddie is is an anomaly. Jerry Garcia is an anomaly and Frank Zappa they're they're all like so super unique and and you know they all played with great drummers and so yeah. so that's another thing my dad taught me is is like you know all these all these great guitar players always had great drummers you know and yeah. i'm a huge mitch mitchell fan you know i love hendrix so i love mitch mitchell of course uh, i love ginger baker i love uh, keith moon i love J- john bonham and all these guys played with great guitar players You are experiencing a gong production.
0: I I was going to say, Molly. There's probably I've I've never heard you say that there's a drummer you don't like, and I think that's really interesting because you have an ear that is open to so much music and so many styles. And like you said, like what would Jeff Picaro do in this the who <laughs> fill you know yeah and, and I yeah. Think that's and that's what makes and and coming coming back to the rival sons, I think that's what makes you a very very important part of the rival sons music because you add your own flavor to it by exactly doing that because we all have to steal you, nobody's gonna yeah. invent a drum fill in two thousand and twenty. And if yeah. it is, it's going to be those death metal, black metal guys, the super technical metal guys. And, and you know, good for them. And and, and I'm happy for them. That I would never be able to do that uh, or invent any other drum fill. But, but, you know, by doing that, it just, you know, you, you got the finger on the pulse of what's going on in the music right there. And I think that's really, that's, and like I'm, we're talking about, you know, signature sound. That's what you have. You have the signature sound. And and such a huge part of of Rival Sons. And you and you got some good players in your band too, man. You got you got a fucking amazing singer, you got an amazing guitar player and bass player. And now also you even have an amazing keyboard player. So so so, you know, and and everybody's you know everybody has their their exact space, exact, you know, place in the band. And this is why, if 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 people listening to this haven't heard Rival Sons, please listen to Rival Sons, uh, and then also get when you guys get to go back out on the road again, you have to see Rival Sons live because that is I've seen you guys a lot. <laughs> I've seen you guys a lot. I don't know yeah, how many shows. Yeah. But you guys always really, really do your best and put on an amazing show there. So yeah, yeah, signature sound—that's what it's about. So let's talk about. It. I, I know from the from the history of the Rival Sons, I know that I, I think if not all your albums, elite, mo- at least most of your albums, you've you did the the Police and the Van Halen thing. You went into the studio and you jammed. You didn't. You didn't do what what reasonable people would do <laughs> and go into rehearsal room and spend three months rehearsing these songs and perfecting them and making them great you guys uh, would always go into the studio and jam and i'm and i'm getting to uh, i'm getting to something here but before we get to your latest album uh feral roots let's talk about how the process was with those earlier albums where you, you jammed in the studio tell me about this
1: uh, it's it was super challenging the first album we did it, it was um um before the fire and it was the first time we worked with Dave Cobb and so it was just the the rhythm section in there um we we had some songs that we had put together and we thought you know the producer will kind of trim and trim the fat here and blah, blah, blah. Like Cobb literally just said, scrap all that. Let's start from scratch square. You know, nothing really blanks, blank slate. And so, so you had actually rehearsed block- stuff
0: to play and record in the studio. And he, he told you to just take it all away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tell me something. Um, Scott had a whole nother riff. And so tell me something was like formed out of another riff, but made into a new one. And then it's like, um, it, Dave Cobb was in there with us and, you know, and so we just, ma- we massaged it out, got that. And m- meanwhile, we look, we look over, um uh, in our engineer, Greg was in there. Uh, me- meanwhile, Greg is recording everything. And so, uh, when we got like a few bars of something, um, that would be the first verse, you know, and then when we got a chorus, so we kind of pieced stuff together. And if we were lucky, we were able to go from verse, chorus, to verse, chorus, you know, like doing different sections together. But so the the magic of like just learning a part was was put on tape. And and then so it's like it's like that we're working on the verse, the you know, the intro and the chorus groove um, and then the intro became the chorus. So it's like and they took, you know, the best 16 or 32 bars of that and made those the the choruses or whatever and so that uh, so we pieced up together essentially so, so
0: what you're saying is also is not i mean you played the parts but they they edited it together afterwards
1: yeah so okay. like on the spot so we would get the song done wow. and we did it we've done m- our albums mostly that way to where um so it's like okay hey here's a verse it's in d and here's the riff do um and then it's like where would this go where what would a verse be or or even like we thought that was going to be the verse and so it's like where, where would the chorus be and then um and then you get it's like you know what that kind of feels like a verse all right let's make the intro the chorus okay now we only need two parts great you know and the, the solo is going to be over the the chorus on the outro so it's like tell me something was like verse chorus verse chorus outro and so um you, you kind of realize when you do it this way that how simple songs are i mean where that's the way old rock and roll was put together there's no like uh, i mean we have middle eights we have bridge bridges and stuff um but there's no it, when you listen i mean the beatles it's a middle eight you know it's just like an eight bar chord progression that where you change the chords to to create like a, a counter melody to like the main theme of the song right and so you realize how simple songs are and how easy it is to overthink it and when you get talented guys i mean i i'm um back to your compliment on on the guys like rival sons each in their own right we have a very talented group of guys and i'm very fortunate and blessed to be playing with these guys and when you have that trust, it's like, hey, I know this guy knows how to play a song. It's like, dude, a verse is like eight bars. Like yeah. it's ninety-eight percent of the time going to be eight bars. Okay, so it's going to be E D C E D C C C E <laughs> like or whatever. It's like, it's not rocket science. And so we went in to um to do pressure and time. And we did it the same way the ep the ep is our second album Mm -hmm. we wrote and and sweated in the studio for weeks and months before we went in to do the ep so the ep songs and we had played shows we had played our first shows and so the ep was was the four of us um writing together uh for the first time and putting that those songs together sleepwalker i mean sleepwalker is a very intricate song um soul soul is a very intricate song with a lot of moving parts um and so the ep is is a very unique album in that we did not do this right it's essentially writing a song a day our goal was to finish the song by the end of the day and so when you're in the studio for three weeks um and you're only you know your album budget from the label is is like x amount of dollars you you have to you can't go in there for 13 months like you know Fleetwood mac rumors or you know metallica black album you know like where they're getting a snare sound for you know six weeks um it's i mean you you really got to go in there and and trust your producer trust your guys in the band trust their musicianship their sense of song and um and and yeah and so then the end of the day it's like then you you layer some vocals on there uh, and some harmonies throw a guitar solo in there and uh you got your song
0: <laughs> this is really cool i'm i'm so i'm so glad i asked you about this because that, this is so fascinating for me to to hear you say cuz i mean of course i've been in the studio and done things as well i just never as a band we never uh, with glue for other bands i probably we never really did that approach to it at all but like you said it was kind of like there wasn't your plan to do it that way but the producer and that was dave cobb right yep yeah, he we've kind done of, every you've done every album with him since right yeah but he kind of forced you almost into doing that
1: yeah, yeah. I mean it was and it was a surprise. we didn't know that was gonna happen. So I remember the first day. You must like, be nervous, that first, right? That first session, I was like, what how are we gonna do it how are we gonna do this? And then we did it, and um you know, and then we you know, you go in and listen back, and then they might make like a little like kind of rough edit, and then it's like, Oh, that's how this sounds. Sometimes you gotta step away from the drums and the music to and like, go back and listen to what you did. Um, sometimes to and and to kind of get reassured. Oh, that sounds great together. When you're in it, when you're in the middle of it, you're going, "Why? Do, this just sounds like two completely unrelated parts. Like, what the hell's going on here?" And then you you go in the control room, and when you have a great engineer, um, and this, these days with Pro Tools, and like we've done everything to, to tape and Pro Tools simultaneously. So, and we'll switch between each. And sometimes we'll do like the drums and bass will sound great on the tape. And then we, we bounce those to Pro Tools and then we do all the the rest of the overdubs in Pro Tools. And so we're doing a lot of um, back and forth uh, between. So, so editing is a very uh, kind of scientific thing. But so, anyway, you, know, you go back in there, like, tell me something. And you hear those two parts together and you're like, oh, this is great. It's like a, a light shade. There's like a black and white. There's like a... Um, and then you go back in and then you can lay down a whole track, you know, from beginning to end that's not edited. And it's just like the whole band playing together all the way through.
0: Well, I, I have a question because um, well, you said that you, you played each part separately and then they kind of edited it together. Did you then go in and play the song uh, as as I mean, did yeah. they edit it for you and then you played what they edited afterwards?
1: yeah yeah okay that's, so that's it, was, was, it was kind of like was,
0: songwriting on the spot
1: yeah i mean i was kind of trying to just explain that a, a second ago it's 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 both ways like sometimes there's just we would edit it and then that would be it oh, okay other yeah, times yeah. It, i would go in and listen to it and go oh okay, wow this this actually sounds really good together let me go play that again and mm-hmm. and a lot of times Cobb was like man the energy of those first takes were you where i was like pissed, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. this is this is the worst riff ever. What the hell are we doing? Fuck are you like, doing? I've to always me? been the I've always been the like little bitch in the studio where I'm like, I, I don't get it. I don't get the end game here. And the Cobb's like, dude, you sound great. Just shut the fuck up. Like like just keep doing what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, okay. Or if I don't know what I'm doing, he'll be like, what would Keith Moon do? You know? What would Jeff Picaro do? Or whatever. And so and then I would just play something cheeky thing. Like pressure and time i was like what is this junk really you no know? wow yeah that's was,
0: that's that's one of your coolest songs ever i, I know
1: and so and it starts I, with the drums yeah. i just
0: i love that opening that's just like i that's think legendary. that
1: opening is kind of a gratuitous hat tip from dave cobb to like get me to like it he's like yeah let's start off with a weird drum fill you know and so i, I basically just did the um, the, the drummer, I can't think of his name right now. I'm like, I'm spacing, but, uh, the, the, uh, Otis Reddings drummer Yeah, yeah. Um, in 1965, uh, live at the whiskey, a go-go and it could have been if, like if, Booker
0: if, T and the MGs, right?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. It could have been those guys. Cause it was Stax. He's a Stax artist. Yeah. Um, Al, um, what's his name? Al something. I, I, I feel like Al a Foster? total jerk. No, Al Foster.
0: That might have been him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're, um, we're off we're off on the deep end here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> okay. <I'm, laughs> we're bringing lo- the seventies. A 70s. lot of music aficionados <laughs> are gonna think I'm a jerk for not remembering no. <laughs> that. But um, but anyway, every song began and started with this cuckoo and um, yeah. and uh, that's a good count. You, you could tell. Um, you could tell that otis redding was like they're writing a song like a chorus at the end of the song and it's just the chorus is going on for like five minutes and otis redding is just riffing and riffing like like church music you know yeah and then um and then you can just hear this you know <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. that was a cue that was a cue
1: yeah, it was a cue, and um, and that's how they cued it, and so that's where I got the uh, the pressure and time lick. But when I when I recorded that, um, right before we re- we hit record, I I was just like, what am I going to play a hi hat groove over this, or am I going to play double time or halftime? And um, and then finally, I made like a like a dork face, like a, like I'm being a dork, and <laughs> probably stuck my t- tongue out and crossed my eyes, and I was pounding on the ride bell. And I was going, do, do-ga, ting, 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 guitar, ting, ting. And Cobb literally ran out of the control room, into the studio, in, into the tracking room. And he's like, that's it, dude. That's the beat. Play that through the whole song. Don't ever leave the ride bell. And so that ride bell um is sort of the signature kind of part of that song. And um, and the ride bell is like. Is all Alex Van Halen, man? That's that's my um, my go-to. Alex Van Halen's Ride Bell is like one of my favorites in in rock in rock music. Well,
0: it explains why you're a pasty player as well, right? A pasty endorser <laughs> now. Part-
1: yeah, that would definitely be part of the reason. You know, when you're <laughs> a kid and you're seeing what all your heroes are playing, you know. Oh yeah, um, man. I mean, you know, Yamaha. I'm a big fan of Yamaha drums and stuff. I play Gretsch. You know, right now is my uh, my 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 drum company and um i played Marrow brothers for 11 years and um my first kit that i bought with my own money was a tama tama rockstar that was a great kit same here um, nice. and yeah 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 and so but oh, I, I I just want,
0: I, 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 I'm i sorry for interrupting, but I want to, we definitely want to get to the gear as well. But I, that, that moment in the studio where, where you were just kind of like goofing off and kind of like, you know, if you're like, fuck this, I'm, you're making your stupid face. It's just like, yeah, this is how shitty groove I'm going to play right now. And that made me immediately think of um, Ain't Talking About Love, uh, which was Eddie Van oh, Halen writing, writing said, this is what a stupid punk song sounds like punk rock song this is this is the kind of stupid riff that they would make everybody like that's a fucking amazing riff and that's one of their best
1: songs (laughs) yeah it's
0: just an a minor (laughs) 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 (speaking) so and he Um, he he hated that i mean i I don't know if he hated it but he said this this is one of those stupid riffs that they would do and and so you see that just sometimes you have to put your huh alex said that or eddie 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 he oh, okay. played the riff for them and he said that this is just, you know, a, a shitty punk rock riff. And and everybody else is like, "No, Gosh. it's not. <laughs> that's an amazing riff." But but it, and that's what I say like sometimes you just have to put your you know, integrity aside <laughs> and yeah. just and just let the, you know, let the primal shit come out And but that's an amazing So I never knew that about that Pressure and Time groove Because right? I think that's the, the intro, the riff, the groove It's, you know That's that's what got me into you guys That song, when I heard that song I just knew that you know, this. I, hey. I love this band I don't care if all the other songs are shitty Which quite obviously They're absolutely not when I heard that song, I just yeah, this is this is <laughs> this speaks it. to me. Yeah, that's just how it is, man. I mean, I think most of your albums after uh, after Dave Cobb told you to uh, just jam in the studio and kind of make up songs and, and 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 do the songwriting in the studio, which is for many people unheard of, but is what they usually did in the old days as well, and it just kind of makes sense that you do it because your music is is strongly uh, retro style and i'm saying that with all passion and heart because that's that's the way i fucking love it but and then we come to feral roots which is your latest album and that from what i understand is is also atlantic you got a new label got a new management suddenly things were even more serious than, than they were to begin with and Still, Dave Cobb, I believe, in the studio and producing, but you had an A and R now that was kind of a lo- little bit looking over your shoulders. Am I right?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, we had A and R. We don't ever, we've never like approached it that way, um, like where we have A and R looking over our shoulders. But we did, we did include um, Pete Gambarg is is a legendary, um. A and R guy. He's a president president of A and R for Atlantic, and we we uh, actually invited his his input because we wanted we wanted um, to to let him be a part of the the direction of of it. Um, and he's got a great ear for a good song, and we feel. I mean, I'll, I'll just say straight up, I think Rival Sons writes amazing songs. I agree. Um, they're, they're like, Jay is an insane lyricist and, and we're, we're very, um, we're very orthodox in, in, so to speak, when it comes to, um, you know, you're not, when you write a verse in a chorus, I mean, you're trying to, it's all about a hook and it's, you're not reinventing the wheel. And we're not doing like, um you know, we're not doing like corn or Avenged Sevenfold or, or, or Tool or, you know, like where there's these intricate things like we're just playing a riff and a four four groove and so it's really about the melody the lyric and the hook at that point you know um i mean you, we have a signature you know our drums we got bombastic kind of signature drum sound or whatever all that stuff's going on but with without a good song you, it doesn't matter how good your drummer is or the riff or you know how you know it's i mean van halen was awesome but man back in the day if they didn't have david lee roth it would have been just a jazz fusion band you know mm-hmm. and so and when i say jazz fusion i mean like you know that heavy alan holsworth john mclaughlin stuff from the 70s i mean uh eddie van halen was he sounded like uh, like a crazy uh, amalgamation of 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 uh john mclaughlin and alan holsworth and um to me just he had that just prowess that was not what was, that was his prowess was not um, uh, what you call it, uh, Jimmy Hendrix. Um, yeah, it wasn't like this. This like greasy, I mean, it's super greasy. But you know what I'm saying. It, yeah, yeah. it was he's like he's like eons beyond beyond like everybody, even to this day. He's like Buddy Rich of guitar for me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But um, anyway, so so the the songwriting is. Um, is is really is really great in, in this and so, or in Rival Sons? So I forgot what the uh, original um, no, question was.
0: Well well, 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 now now we segue into something else. But I, I I I feel a need to say something, Aaron. That is that, like how it was uh, back in the in the old days, uh, Rival Sons is is a consists of a band with amazing players, amazing talent. You know, technically and sound-wise and energy and you have all the right stuff and then you write great songs. And you could say that your guys' talent put together is way, way more than is needed for, for what you're playing because you're playing, in a way, a lot technically simpler than you could, but which makes the energy just amazing because you see players who can play... The shit out of anything and they keep it simple and groovy and nice and, and and that kind of rock style doesn't have to be over the top doesn't have to be technical but when you are that good a player and you play that music and you're a great songwriter this is why people should listen to rival sons because you know not only in the studio and with your studio albums i i love it when i listen to it, i love it my my family loves my my girls love it but seeing you live it's just like I'm blown away every time, and I don't say that very often about pets that I see. <laughs> so, well, so, I appreciate it, man. No, well, no. we it's...
1: were talking. I remember we were talking about Pete Gambarg uh, and uh, and having our label kind of yeah yeah be yeah. a part of it. Like we, we we um we're very protective of our our art and our craft and our our merch and our designs, our art designs and our music and how As we you come across album covers, lyrics um, were very territorial. And so um, we, we forged a really uh, good relationship with Pete Gambar uh, right off the bat. He was the one who got us signed to Atlantic and um, he, he went out on a limb to sign us you know, to be Frank, not a lot of uh, bands like us out there right now. So a label signing us is, is going out on a limb. I mean, Greta Van Fleet, it's kind of the only other band that's that's um doing really well doing like a classic rock kind of style right now and so um so for pete Gambarg to take a a a risk on on a band that already had six albums out and we're you know uh later in our years you know we're not 22 you know playing you know doing what greta band fleet's doing we're you know we've been on the road we're seasoned we've played with we've had other record deals you know we have we have um A track record you know as well so bringing in gambar felt like a real mature thing to do and he's got a good ear and and sometimes you're like hey this is great um i like this idea i like this song um should we continue down this path you know like shooting stars was a a, a very like out of the box thing for us and so um to have the label be excited about that you know as being a potential single it kind of like puts to rest any kind of fears you might have. Because, I mean, Feral Roots, I think there's 25 or 30 songs that we laid down. And, you know, there's only 11 or 12 on the album. So, um, you know, there's a lot of attrition. There's a lot of songs that die, you know. They, mm-hmm. But then you um, can pick
0: up again later, hopefully, for, for the I rest mean, of the, us.
1: Yeah, maybe there's there might be some B-side stuff in there. There's, there's a lot of, on every album, there's been five to 20 deaths you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um where those songs sort of take one for the team too cause sometimes you have to write three failures to get you know sometimes you have to write a hundred failures to get you know a hit a super hit we don't have a super hit yet so we're still trying to um to to find to find that hit I mean it's it's so hard in this day and age to um you know to I, I feel like we have songs that are timeless and stuff and i'm not going to name any anything or or like compare it to other songs but you know there's some classic rock tunes that i I think our songs can stand right next to them certainly we just didn't we didn't come out in the in the right era or something you know so we have all this great these great songs you know that just never saw the light of day and unless you're like a big rival sons fan and so um so to include the label was a very strategic thing for us as well you know to keep us on track and um you know what i'm saying
0: yeah yeah certainly i know what you're saying but 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 uh i, I it makes me think of, of two things we, uh, right now and and the one is like well whatever you do don't try too hard to write a hit song because because i think the reason why people love you is because you guys are authentic and that's what I was talking about oh, earlier yeah. as well. And then you go to Greater Van Fleet, which I'm personally, uh, I'm not going to badmouth anybody on on the show at all. I don't want to do That's not why I'm here. I don't believe that. But its it doesn't hit me. And it's because it doesn't feel that authentic to me. You know what I mean? It, it's kind of a quick fix. How do we sound like that? I mean, people can point their fingers at Rival Sons and say, well, they sound just like Led Zeppelin. Well, they sound somewhat... And In- Led Zeppelin inspired, together with a lot of other things that they're inspired by, uh, and that's why I like it. Yeah, but it's authentic. Still, you know, you- you're sucking from the teat of. All the teats that I fucking love. You know? Oh yeah, and, and, we like teets. We like teets like in teats. rival sons. Yeah. <laughs> Next album's called "Bring On The Teats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Southern rock. No, yeah. but I mean, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's a mix of all those fantastic elements, and that's why we like it. But it's authentic. You've lived it. You've done it. And like you said, you guys aren't young that young anymore. But you have, you have a lot of power and what you have done all the playing all the t- you guys have toured like crazy man you guys have been going on for quite a bit and working hard you're like the james brown of of, of contemporary rock the hardest working yeah. band in the biz so i mean yeah
1: man a lot of certainly are.
0: i mean anybody can try to argue with that but just look at your resume man you guys have been all around and been working hard so and, and that's what i mean about you know being authentic
1: i mean seven it's seven albums in 10 years i mean that's i don't think a lot of uh bands can say they've done that uh of late you know the last decade i don't
0: think um, so either not with the touring you guys have been doing
1: yeah and that's you know just to, to come back to van halen like i i remember hearing they were touring like they were touring their asses off and then they went in and did the first album in like 14 days. And then they went back straight onto the road. And I remember hearing that and like those first, I don't know, Van Halen two, you know, fair warning diver down, like all all those like early Van Halen albums, like they were whipping them out. Like, like one, one a year. And, um, and the recording sessions where they were so seasoned that they could just go in and lay the album down and then, and then get back on the road. And, that, I remember hearing, you know, those stories, and that's kind of how Rival Sons modeled our, our work ethic was modeled after that. I mean, Zeppelin did the same thing; they were touring all over the place, and then they went in and did their their studio albums. And uh, a lot of the old old bands used to do that they would tour, 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 and then go in the studio. And they're so seasoned from playing together um, on the road that that the live. So to speak, the live sound, the sound of four guys playing together in the studio was so melded and and glued together that you didn't have to do like six weeks of overdubs, you know, to get it perfect. It was like you're doing it every night and there's something to be said. um, There's something to be said about, um, you know, playing every night together, playing, you know, without a no backing tracks like it's the sound that's coming out of the pa system is the sound of the band playing together it's which is a very unique thing in this day and age is as weird as that sounds as weird as it sounds to say that
0: Most uh, uh, of the time you spend with Rival Sons is touring. And you guys have toured all over. And and if there are people who are not that familiar with Rival Sons listening to this, uh, one of the things you did during the last three or four years is you did the whole entire uh, final Black Sabbath tour support worldwide, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we did. 2016, we, we did that uh, going into uh january of 2017 we wrapped it up so we did 13 months with sabbath (laughs) which is surreal that's to this day it's it's surreal to to think that we did that and what Um, other
0: band did that earlier in their career let's see another band we talked about earlier today yeah that was van halen wasn't it
1: uh, they opened for black sabbath
0: oh yeah in 78 they did the world tour for for sabbath yeah
1: yeah yeah Oh my gosh, I did not know that. Really? That okay, is... well
0: you, you just ask me cuz I'm I know way too much about my own. Um but that must have been amazing. That, I mean,
1: wasn't that fun? Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, it was it, it was it was fun just because I mean, when you're in doing an arena tour for over a year, it's it's you you get used to arenas and and it seasoned us. Um to get to that next level. Like we're, if, if we had a, a big hit or a, a reason to sell, you know, 14,000 tickets a night, um, we were ready for it. We our crews ready for it. The band is ready. I mean, um, playing a big stage, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's surreal to think that, that that would ever, ever even happen. I try to stay positive. um, but uh, like for R- Rival Sons is, is, I think, born and bred to be an arena band. But, uh, you know, the, the, the day and age of attention spans and uh, where art is going and what labels are backing. And, um, you know, that's could be a whole other topic. Uh, Gene Simmons saying rock is dead. Um, I sort of agree with Gene Simmons. <laughs> but okay. that could be a topic for another day. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a topic for another day. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah
0: but i mean you know and i think um with a band like you uh and i think i think maybe even now and this is as a fan and as a friend and a fellow musician i get to be all three and that's lucky me but i i think the the zen approach to that is is not so bad because not even looking back at what you've achieved because you have actually achieved incredible things incredible things you know and and you don't have to look at numbers and and sales you 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 sell out the last european show all the shows i think were sold out am i right
1: uh if yeah if, or close close to it yeah for sure a couple I mean, of them candidate. were maybe
0: not entirely sold out but it was doing very well
1: Ninety-five percent of it was sold
0: out. Yeah, for sure. So I'd call that a success. <laughs> I think most people yeah. will call that a success. And you know, uh, if rock is dead or rock is not dead, it doesn't really matter. I I think what's important is in- integrity and, like I said, authenticity. Because you you really really hit people with your music, and that is so important. You get to tour the world and do it. Now, if 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 jet is the most important thing, I don't. Know if that's the most important thing. I think maybe, of course, you want to reach as many people as possible with your music, but I mean, you also want to be happy with your music and happy with what you do. And I don't say that people have to be content and not move on and try to get higher goals, but I think, I think you guys, what you have is so amazing. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't try to write the hit song. Don't, don't. Don't try too hard to to reach too hard. Just do your thing. What you guys do is amazing. It's it's so powerful, and it hits so many people. And wherever it goes, you can't really control it, I don't think. But I think you're doing yeah, yeah. a really, really yeah. good job of making fantastic music that's reaching all over the world and reaching so many people and, and just hitting them right where you're supposed to hit them.
1: Well, I think if we were to try and write a hit song it it would be the utmost failure because hit songs right now are terrible um (laughs) like as far as like art they're all algorithmic and and they're written by maybe five people on planet earth are writing like a majority of the hit songs um so i mean we would be writing like um you know uh i kissed a girl and 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 liked it you know um Who's that girl? Uh, Katy Perry, like we—that's—that's that's hit songs right now, and or it's like the hit songs are, are um, you know, drum programmed, you know, hip hop oriented, um, dance and twerk twerking music and stuff. That's what hit songs are. Like the 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 music we're going after used to be the hit songs of the their day. You know, like the Beatles and Zeppelin, and um, but actually, if you actually think about, it, I mean zeppelin wasn't like a radio band van Halen wasn't like a big until 1984 i mean rock radio played them right but like yeah um a lot of our favorite bands were not like um top 40 radio um it, it per se you know like I, I mean iron maiden one of the biggest bands on planet earth man they like trooper wasn't on kiss fm <laughs>
0: you know it certainly wasn't and, and like you don't want to be there either
1: yeah, so I mean we're we're definitely staying staying true to our our roots and and to be honest what's weird is like I think every song we write we try to write hits because that's what makes a great song is as a hit song is something that everyone remembers and can sing in the shower and you want to remember the riff you want to be able to um the the problem with rock music I think um is a lot of rock modern rock bands are not writing shook me all night long um for those about to rock we salute you like there's no no, there's no anthemic um choruses like dream on loving in elevators uh like you know uh walk this way um you know jump from van halen like i mean pour some sugar on me like Some of the the, the songs from the past, they had these super choruses, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, Def Leppard, Def Leppard, love him or hate him, those guys wrote hit songs, like hit choruses. And they Uh, tried to, and they also
0: tried to, uh, uh, you know, contemporary, that's what they wanted to do, obviously, and that was fine. But uh, yeah. and that's that's all well. I think you should just write hits for yourself. I mean, yeah. yeah. The, what, what's a hit for you? This is my favorite hit record. Great, there you go. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's what I think you're doing because you're certainly writing a lot of my hits.
1: <laughs> I mean, our hit, I would say, like if if there was a hit and we came out in the right time, I'd say "Pressure and Time," "Electric Man," "Open My Eyes." You know, all of our singles uh, were hits for us. You know, they put us on the map. They got licensed to. TV and movies, and you know, like um, TV commercials, and they were on sports, ESPN sports stuff. Like, to hear as a baseball fan, like, I'm a huge baseball guy, and so to hear Keep On Swinging, which is like swinging a bat, and hitting a baseball, obviously, right? And to hear Keep On Swinging in the opening segment of, of game seven of the World Series, um, when the Cubs won a couple years ago. Um, game seven, you know, uh, channel seven or whatever the heck channel it was that was playing the world series when seven o'clock the games, you know, the game coverage starts right out the gates, dude. Um, like that was the opening montage of the game seven of the world series. I mean, so we've, you know, keep on swinging is, has got a lot of mileage for us, you know, as far as like a quote, hit song, you know, but we weren't in the studio going, this is going to be a hit. Like we just wanted to write a good riff, big fat groove and a great vocal. And that's to me, to us, that's like, that's what making a hit is, is, is a fat groove, a huge riff and a great vocal. <laughs> For me, it's, it's, I mean, we all have our soundtracks of our childhoods, you know, and but I was thinking, it reminded me of the story. Um, when, if you're messing up lyrics or you, when you're a kid, um, I remember when I first started uh, what you guys would call football. You know, we mm-hmm. call it soccer here. Yep. But um, I remember when I was first in soccer and um, Tom Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers had uh, that song, Don't Do Me Like That. Oh, don't Do a Me Like great That. Great song. Baby, 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 don't, don't. And I, I thought he was saying, don't dribble like that. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> like, you know, dribbling the soccer ball. And so That's beautiful. When you're a kid, you hear, you hear these old songs and you're like, don't dribble like that. And I'm, I remember the coach, you know, trying to get us to dribble, you know, with good technique and all that or whatever. And, <laughs> he probably said, don't dribble like that. I, yeah, because I was terrible at soccer, too. So <laughs> um, that song resonates with me. So Every time I hear it, um, uh, you know, and I, I still to this day don't know if it's uh, wrapped up like a douche. In the middle of the yeah, night. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. By the light. Yeah.
1: But I remember as a kid just going wrapped up like a douche.
0: <laughs> you
1: know? <laughs> well, that was Manfred um,
0: Mann uh, doing doing, um, Bruce Princeton, right?
1: Wrapped up like a dude, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think too. it is. I
0: think it is. So, Miley. um, <laughs> <laughs> s- somewhat toward looking at the uh, The light at the end of the tunnel and, and, and soon to maybe be wrapping this up Although I've I've had a fantastic time Talking to you man We've talked so many hours before But we're always distracted by Whatever's going on at backstage Or a festival or wherever, wherever we've been Now yeah. we can sit down and, and talk about You know drums and music And all the things that really You know means a lot to us And do it s- somewhat undisturbed Um Look into the future now, and we're we're all in a really really you know fucked up or strange or odd situation with this whole coronavirus uh, lockdown. Um, but you know, you guys have had some canceled shows. What was your initial plans for twenty twenty, and then and then the next year? What what had you talked about that you can reveal right now?
1: Well, we're um. We're already talking about uh, making our next album. So there's a lot of uh That's all back I want to forth. hear. <laughs> there's a lot of back and forths, uh, frankly, are mainly between Jay and Scott, um, sending riffs and lyrics and melodies back and forth to each other. Jay lives in uh, Tennessee. Scott lives in California. So um, everything's like kind of via text and FaceTime and, and Dropbox and WeTransfer transfer and, Um, we all have logic and we're all working with, um, universal audio now to, to, um, use some of their gear to, to record and stuff. So we're sharing files and stuff now, uh, writing for the next album. I mean, we didn't know if we're going to not even be on the road for the rest of the year. So we're like, Hey, might as well go into album mode, which serendipitously, whatever you might think, if you're a rival Suns fan, it's a, it's a good, a good thing. Um, uh, we did we wrote a lot of Feral Roots while we were touring. Um,
0: can I, can I just so... shoot in one thing here? Yeah, Feral Roots was a double Grammy nominated album, and I <laughs> and just the nom- it, it, it most bands could dream of one nomination, you guys had two, and surprisingly and incredibly, and of course, that's how it is. You ended up not winning a Grammy, and that's not the main focus here because (laughs) but I mean and and I'm I'm so sorry about that because you fucking deserved both of them and ten more. But at least it was Grammy nominated and that is, you know, hopefully telling a lot of other people out there that please check out Rival Sons because if you don't like well, it you, know, you can turn it off but I'm telling you, you know, about, you're probably going to like it Regarding
1: um regarding not winning uh when we so during the day they they pass out about 90% of the grammys are passed out during the day with that you don't see on live tv live tv is mainly for the the big pop artists and the performances and then they they hand out like you know the the best pop album you know all the big ones and, and some gratuitous like um you know there'll be like spoken word or something like every once in a while but like rock album and and jazz and like classical all those grammys are given out during the day so um when we got to the main event right and um sitting in there and like the first award was like you know the best best um vocal performance or pop vocal performance whatever and it was like it was uh uh Lizzo ariana grande taylor swift um you know just the, uh uh billy eilish and then the fifth i forgot who the fifth one was you're sitting there going and then lizzo got it you're sitting there going okay lizzo won but is billy eilish uh, a loser is taylor swift a loser is ariana grande a loser and it hit none me, of them are
0: fucking losers
1: yeah it hit me that like being nominated is fucking winning dude <laughs> so, that is
0: so like, winning
1: it's it's super winning like for us we're up there with gary clark um i prevail uh, uh who's the, ba- the um, cage the elephant dude Just, they're awesome dude like so i i was happy to be in that company tool i mean tool was in there with us i think um uh i got to meet danny Carey and hang out with him um he sat right in front of us at, at, when we got into the main event so me, I was talking to Danny Carey and his wife and his wife's pregnant and we're talking about kids and I was with my wife and and um, it was just a really fun event to go to. Yeah, like I I was kind of like, "Ah, the Grammys, whatever, you know." I was, you know, like a, a lot of musicians who never got nominated for a Grammy seemed to kind of say, "Oh, the Grammys, it's just a, like a big game and it's a this and that." Then you get nominated for Grammy and you go and you're like, Wow, this is like actually. This is the freaking, Whether you love it or hate it, this is the business. This is the business we're all we all chose to be in. The, this is all the big big players, and if it wasn't for a lot of these big players, um, that you know, like we uh, half of us wouldn't be doing what we're doing. And and to, to to really be frank, the best performance on the Grammys was Aerosmith, and it just goes to show you that rock and roll is still the most exciting thing for anybody to go witness, you know, a good rock band, um, is still the most exciting thing. Like you can go to Ari Grande and it's like, okay, twerk, twerk, shake your butt. There's like 15 dancers on the stage. Okay. They, they rehearsed for, you know, 40 60 hours a week to get all those dance moves together. That's great. Um, but who's playing music Four guys, five guys, six guys on a stage playing music together. Um, who wrote the, the music themselves and it wasn't like a, a grip of algorithmic AI writers, you know, um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, I, I, that's dude, such, you, it's a rare thing and it, it goes to preaching show you to the choir. <laughs> yeah. It just goes to show you though. Like, like I remember um, who's, who's the guy uh, chance, the rapper, mm-hmm. like it's super entertaining, man. Like, like one of my favorite new, entities you know but it's not music it's like a it's like a art entity it's um or i mean one could argue it's like it's the future of music you know the future of music um is just going away from people playing together now for 300 400 years it's been about an orchestra it's been about a a a group of musicians playing a, a piece of written music that was written um you know what i'm saying it's like organic and it's turning into not organic. It's turning into, um, uh, uh, GMO, like, um, what love chance the rapper or not, whatever your feelings are, that's like GMO music to me. It's like, uh, and I, I, you know, uh, Scott, Scott, our guitar player, he loves chance the rapper. He loves like all this new stuff. And so there's a, there's a lot of rival sons. Um, we, we like a lot of different stuff and, and, I don't like a lot of stuff that Scott likes. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm still listening to Steely Dan, dude. I'm like still trying to figure out what, what, uh, Steve Gad did on Asia, dude. So it's like, um, and that's
0: why I love you, Miley. That's why I fucking love anyway. you. <laughs> I guess there's room for all of this, you know, and it's, it's good that, you know, at the grammys also there is room for all of this and you know whoever wins wins whoever doesn't doesn't the people who are involved with this you guys i was just so incredibly positively i wouldn't i shouldn't say surprised but because i know or i think i know how the system works and i'm usually you know negative by heart you know, I, I guess I can say I was positively surprised that you guys were nominated, not for one, but for two. So yeah. you know, but but look into the future, um there will be another album and uh you're hoping that you'll be touring before that album comes out, and then that album comes out and then you'll do some touring, or what do you what do you, what yeah. do you p- predict the situation to be? Well uh, another thing now?
1: we're doing another thing we're doing right now is working on um uh well i mean last year we did the all the test runs for our own merch company um so we, we we produced and distributed and sold our own merch uh last year we got out of our old merch deal and uh we're forming a company uh we're going to sign other artists and have our own merch company and have it be uh like an artist friendly uh, merch company where where the artists a lot of merch companies it's just you're just a number and just like like any other business where um you feel like a number and not a person and so um so that you know having our own merch company being in charge of our own artwork and 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 stuff merch is a big part of the the music business and so um it's a big, big tour- part of your income as well isn't it yeah yeah so touring like a band that tours like when you see bon jovi on tour uh they'll make a million adult uh, let's say <laughs> sorry huh? i am just whatever like acdc you'll you'll see a band out on tour and they'll make a million in ticket sales and they'll make a million in merch so so when you when you see a big band touring uh merch is like half half of the income so um you know guns and roses like it, it's it's like they'll make 400 million on on the tour and they'll make 400 million on shirts <laughs> and um and everybody wants to wear a rock t shirt. No one wants to wear Ariana Grande shirt, dude. Like, even even Ariana Grande fans will wear a Led Zeppelin shirt or a Black Sabbath shirt before, you know, because there's kind of a hip factor into wearing old rock and roll shirts. And the Rival Sons logo is pretty cool in and of itself. And even if you're not a Rival Sons fan, like the 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 lions with the wings, I mean, it's a, it's a really cool, um, it's a really cool look. What's what's the, eagle what no a griffin is a eagle with an eagle with um lion's feet i don't know i don't know what the uh mythological animal is with the lion with the wings but um, it's the rival son it's a rival son and now another thing we're working on is um is putting a festival together so we want to make a rock festival like our own version of lollapalooza or something to where um it's rock bands. So we're, we're putting, you know, we want to put rock and roll back on the map and have like-minded bands playing together. Um, and cause a lot of us we're it's like every man for himself. I mean, and, and there's still the big heritage acts still touring like Aerosmith and we were doing, fixing to do the Aerosmith tour this summer. Uh, we've opened for, uh, rolling stones. We've opened for Sabbath, deep purple, you know, kiss we've opened for all these great heritage acts. Um, and, uh, you know, pretty soon it's going to be us. We're going to be the heritage act. So, um, we want to put together our own festival. And so we're working on that. Um, and you know, with this coronavirus downtime, it's kind of forced us to put on our business caps and think differently and, and stuff. So there's a lot of, uh, positives coming out of it too. So, um, you know, the, the, the drawing board, everyone's kind of back to their drawing boards and, So Rival Sons is definitely in their drawing board and, um, getting creative. We're staying creative and I'm talking to Jay three, four times a week. I talk to Scott three, four times a week and, um, and you know, we're very, very active and, uh, um, trying to stay afloat, man, in this crazy time.
0: Awesome. Awesome.
1: (laughs) So, um,
0: and uh if you want to follow miley where do you is it you're on instagram right what's your instagram uh account? miley on
1: drums with a z okay. and um, facebook uh, I'm uh, I think michael miley rival sons facebook.com forward slash miley michael miley rival sons and then um, I have a YouTube page where I have some drum lessons and I'm I'm actually learning how to um work in Premiere pro Oh, and, and do video editing. And I'm trying to put some drum lesson videos together to put on YouTube and uh, t- to stay busy, you know, and um, I have so much to say. I don't know if you can tell, but uh, I'm trying, <laughs> I to, can tell. I'm trying to figure out a way to, to, uh, you know, market it and, and put it into some succinct um, lessons to get some beginners. I'm not like in any way, shape or form, like a, a, a guy, there's so much, so many amazing teachers on YouTube that or like just drummers and gospel chops and all that stuff. But I think I, uh, I have a knack for teaching beginners. Um, Cause there's so many things that I would have uh, loved to have learned when I was younger and um, that I had to learn the hard way or whatever. And, and I got a degree in music and so I, I, I know I can teach and uh, so I'm trying to figure out a way to, to do it. And I'm all by myself because um, no one can, we're all social distance. So I'm, I'm having to, do the cameras and, um, do the video editing, the post-production and the drumming and the teaching all in one. So, um, these last few weeks I've been, uh, uh, just like learning, studying video editing and, you know, like, um, a lot of non-drumming stuff. But the point is I've been busy trying to just educate myself, uh, in other in other mediums. And, and, you know, the music business is a multivariant, uh, you know, business, there's, there's, um, you know, our royalties come from different places, our, our money, our monthly income, our, our, you know, like, touring income is different than royalty income. And like, um, there's so many parts to this business. And I'm always telling uh, younger people who are just getting in the music business, you know, learn the business, learn how money works, learn how, a business transaction works, you know, learn what negotiation is, you know, um, you know, learn, learn how to sell yourself, you know, not, not in that way. Um, sell yourself in, um, you know, know what you're worth, know what your value is, know exactly. what you provide. And, um, exploitation is, uh, is what we're, we do. We exploit our talents and, and you hope that you don't get, um, you know, like, screwed in the well music business is going to screw you so it's like the more you know the less you get screwed so um so there you have that (laughs) learn the business miley thank you so much
0: i hear that you're getting eager to get back to to getting back to practice um yeah only a true drum geek like yourself would do a talk like this holding sticks in your hands because you can't (laughs) help yourself and and that's one of the many reasons why i love you my friend (laughs) okay miley thank you so much it's been a pleasure take care big love to your family big love to everybody and uh keep on swinging
1: yeah baby thanks a lot and thanks to everybody who's listening and danny's the best guy out there keep listening to danny
0: (laughs) okay man thank you Yeah, so that was our talk with Michael Miley, great guy, amazing drummer, and please, I know I said it several times during our talk, but I'll have to say it again, please, if you haven't already checked out Rival Sons, check them out, you're gonna fucking love it, and if you don't, then you just don't have to listen to it, and we can can disagree, and that's totally fine, in this time and age, it is totally fine to disagree, believe me not dangerous it's just an opinion <laughs> so anyways uh, thanks to michael miley and thank you for listening and if you like this uh feel free to share it tell some friends tell other drummers whatever we'll be back in the next episode and uh, i'm looking forward to it and i hope you are too thank you so much have a good one bye bye You have just listened to Dr. Gong's drum cast. The drumcast has been produced by Gong Productions, and the theme song, Dr. Gong, was written and performed by Raldo Useless, aka Adolf Ingwer Huggen, with yours truly Danny Young on drums. Thank you for listening. Oh, the oh my
1: god, if only he was my name.